This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. At SoundsTrue.com, you can find hundreds of downloadable audio learning programs, plus books, music, videos, and online courses and events. At SoundsTrue.com, we think of ourselves as a trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today my guest is Thomas Hubel. Thomas is a contemporary spiritual teacher who invites people to experience a deeper dimension of self-awareness and individual responsibility. He is the initiator of the Celebrate Life Festival in Germany and the Synchronized Humanity Tour. He founded the Academy of Inner Science in 2008, creating a space for the exploration of contemporary mysticism, which directly contributes to awaking culture. With Sounds True, Thomas Hubel is publishing a new audio series, The Power of We, as well as a forthcoming book, on awakening in the relational field. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, Thomas and I spoke about two competencies that he feels are needed for the process of spiritual awakening, the competency of stillness and the competency of movement or expression, particularly in relationship with others. We talked about the importance of asking the question when we find ourselves triggered in relationship. What am I avoiding? And finally, we talked about what really constitutes transparent communication and how awakening can only be experienced in its fullness if we are attuned and responsive to other people. Here's my conversation with Thomas Hubel, who stayed awake late in Germany one night to talk on Insights at the Edge about awakening in the relational field. Thomas, to begin with, I'd love to know what spiritual awakening means to you. I think it's an experience, a breakthrough that people understand differently. And there's also a lot of misunderstanding about what spiritual awakening is and is not. So right here at the beginning, I'd love to know what's spiritual awakening to you. Well, that's a big one. <laughs> um, I think we can fill a whole hour just with this question. But maybe to make it more simple, um, for me, yes, as you say, that... Uh, Spiritual awakening can can be something very fundamental that can like hit us like a lightning, and suddenly the normal perspective that we have on life, um, in a way, opens pretty strongly, and we see that whatever we were identified with until now is actually not my true self. So that the separation that I experienced uh, in my life, maybe until today, and and the way how I think, how I feel, how I perceive, how I breathe, 
in that separate self suddenly um, gets fundamentally changed. That's the word I would use. And so the attachment to my normal psychological process, to my normal perception uh, in life, is is being suspended into something much greater. Usually, a feel that the feeling of separation actually melts into a kind of a unification with with everything. So that's one thing how we could look at. Uh, uh, awakening and but usually what I experienced in the last 10 12 years of my work is that that's pretty rare and so that much more likely it is that we give ourselves to to the deep desire in our heart for a, a kind of a spiritual path a, a a path that arises out of questions, out of difficulties in our life, out of out of a deep desire for some people, out of a crisis, and that that we have small awakenings, like that our perspective on life in in different areas expands, and that we that we find a greater synchronicity, coherence with with life, step by step by step. And usually, this step-by-step process that can also have uh, setbacks or often has setbacks is sometimes accompanied by high levels of creativity, sometimes also by very dark moments. So that it can be described in a way like a, a bit of the struggle of the soul to find its freedom. And so that's usually the path that I see much more often than a fundamental uh, awakening experience where form and formless essence and and experience literally are totally unified but um, I think for most of us it's a it's a gradual process of arriving more and more and more in the perfection that I was missing my whole life. Now, in your own life experience, was there some type of thunderbolt, some type of lightning, or has it been a gradual opening and deepening for you? I think in my life, it was a bit of a combination. It was um, that I, like as a medical student, I was very much into studying medicine until I and when I was 19 years old, I had a, a very strong um, feeling to have a, a kind of a silent space every day. And I didn't really have anything to do with meditation at the time. I was pretty much into into science and medicine. And, and only later I found out about meditation, yoga, and I tried many things and I... You know, I, I was really into it, and then I had a, the feeling, okay, that's it. This needs to become my life. This needs to become my first priority. And I left everything when I was 26, and I went to kind of an intensive four years of retreat. And so one could say I had a very intense studying time in that 
uh, in these four years. And and at the end of these four years, I had a fundamental, let's say, experience. It's not an experience, a fundamental. Something happened, and it's changed um, a lot. And after that, uh, slowly, slowly, it took it took me a year, basically, that I was still meditating a lot and um, just mainly on my own or for myself. And then slowly it opened my path to to do the work that I'm that I'm doing today. So I think it was pretty much both. I felt a very strong calling. I had a very strong inner guidance also in these four years. And and at the same time something fundamental also happens. So it's a combination. Could you describe in more detail for me, I mean I have quite a high curiosity about this the fundamental shift that happened? Meaning, was it like one night at four in the morning, you know, that kind of specific thing? Or or how would you describe it? Yeah, of course, in these four years that I was meditating many hours a day often, and, and I was literally exploring different spaces in human consciousness, different levels of our existence or dimensions of our being. And and so I had more often kind of suddenly revelations in that time. But there was one fundamental moment in in, in my meditation practice where suddenly fundamentally things changed. And it's it's very hard to describe. The only thing that I could describe it is that my the way how I looked at life before was not there anymore and um but what has been left was a uh, like as if what I said before a bit that that uh, the borders of the separation somehow merged into something completely different, more unified or more. On the one hand, much more simple, and on the other hand, deeply connected. It's very hard for me to find words for this, but I I, I know that there was one moment where suddenly everything was different. That's, that's the most, uh, the, the closest that I can describe this. And it it took me like a year or so to. Um, in a way, to come back into life or start teaching what I'm doing now or or actually life picked me and and invited me to teach so but this was a pretty strong moment, and that my whole perspective, how I looked at life before somehow dissolved that's the closest that I can describe it with words now in the new audio series that you've created, The Power of We, you begin by talking about two competencies that we need in the spiritual awakening process, if you will. And you talk about these two competencies as stillness and movement or expression. And I wonder here at the beginning if you can talk to our listeners about stillness and movement and how you see those as core competencies, if you will, in the awakening process. Right. 
So first of all, I mean, I think in in many spiritual traditions and the, the mystical parts of the traditions, which I I call mystical, the inner core of of the great wisdom traditions. So where the real true knowledge, the true practices, uh, have been passed on for often thousands of years, and so we we hear a lot about the practice of stillness the the practice of inner space the practice of presence of um mindfulness and so i believe that one stream of our spiritual practice needs to show us this very eternal moment this timeless quality that deepens and deepens and deepens until in a way the experience dissolves in the stillness and the the simplicity it's so simple i believe that it's that we often don't see it in the complexity of our life and so i think one part of our meditation practice needs to be an emptiness practice or a stillness practice that shows me my eternal or the eternal presence and but equally important and uh, and i think uh, something that uh, needs to be explored actually deeper is how does my spiritual practice not remove me really from what we call society culture or the marketplace but actually give me higher competencies to live in society culture and the marketplace and stay a creative or evolving movement as well so that my life stays in a creative impact in life and so i believe that the creation process as it's described for example in the kabbalistic tradition in the in the jewish mysticism or in the monotheistic traditions <clears throat> as such is an equal important part of our practice that's where potential comes into play that's where uh, the future is something that we can develop into comes into play this is where accountability responsibility groundedness body mind spirit many all the aspects that i can say okay this is a quality this is a form and these are competencies that i can develop so in stillness stillness is something that i can realize by dropping in and dropping in and dropping in or the inclusion and transcendence and movement is participation is refinement is excellence is human intelligence and i believe if we if we find a contemporary path that really allows us to practice both deeply so then we will realize eternity but we will also become a higher version of what we are today as individuals and as cultures and so we keep actually and i think that many listeners that that listen to this program were <clears throat> to um are connected to sounds true are also people that live 
in the marketplace that co-create culture. And so we find many difficulties in co-creating culture, especially when you listen to the news at the moment. You hear many aspects where difficulties arise. And so I think when my spiritual practice actually gives me competences to deal with the difficulties in my life and turn them into uh, into higher movements or deeper competencies or more love, compassion. So that's what sounds to me as a very appealing uh, spiritual practice. It's interesting to me, Thomas, the way that you're linking stillness and movement. I think many spiritual teachers talk about stillness or practicing the presence, quieting the mind, finding emptiness, space. And then I hear other kinds of people talking about changing the world, creative arts and expression. How do you see the two of these linked in the awakening process itself? How are they combined in your view? So one aspect that I'm really interested in is healing. And in the healing work, what we are interested in is um, how to create a higher movement in the places where we reduce our movement. And in the in the spiritual practice, in the silence practice, we are interested how can we include and transcend, which means disidentify from the form and the energy and drop back into the ocean or the stillness, the eternal presence. And what I found out actually in, in also in the last 10, 12 years is how positive it is when when we learn with and yeah when we learn to look at the movement of life with competency so that my the deepening of my presence and my awareness can actually help and support me to integrate my shadows to be more inspirational or to be more inspired to be more intuitive to have a higher uh, capacity of perception, to be more connected to the depth or the complexity of the moment. And so I actually don't see any difference between those two paths. I actually think that that what happened in the past is that people went and maybe went to monasteries or even to caves in the Himalaya, Himalayan mountains and and looked for more solitude in order to deepen the spiritual practice. But what we find nowadays often is that many of the people that we are connected to are also, you know, co creating culture and having an impact in life, on life. And and I think, therefore, nowadays, we, many of us, are being asked to develop both. And actually, for me, there is no difference between stillness and movement. So I think the true non-dual realization is not just realizing stillness, but to realize the stillness within the movement so that the, the eternal face of the divine and the the developing or evolving phase of the divine are actually not two. And so I 
I believe they are deeply interwoven and more so they are not two. And there is no activism or spiritual life. I think actually the best activism is the one that is coming from that more awake perspective. Okay, so help me a little bit. I'm imagining someone who, in an abstract way, says, I kind of get what you mean, and it certainly sounds beautiful and poetic. But in my experience, stillness often comes to me when I'm sitting in a chair, and I'm in nature, or I'm lying on the ground, or I'm doing a meditation practice. And then expression comes when I'm involved in a creative art form, or I'm speaking, or I'm at work. And how do I find the stillness in movement and the movement in stillness? Right. So, and now the interesting thing is, how can you take what you experience in the meditation practice or when you sit in nature, is there a possibility to not lose that space and that inner centeredness, that inner space or presence when you talk to your boss, when you talk to the people that you do your project with, when you talk to your clients, and you talk to your family. So how can we actually merge all those transpersonal qualities into our personal uh, engagement in the world? And so when communication, for example, or interaction or participation in the world are being infused by the capacities that those deep spiritual practices give me, so and that when I talk to you, I am able to hold a present space that includes you and myself and the space in between us. And it, at the same time, includes the information and the qualities that you bring into the space and that I bring into the space, or my partner, my intimate partner, um, or my child, or my working colleagues. And I am able to stay in that transpersonal uh, self while I am engaged in the energetic world, while I'm engaged in a deeply intimate personal relation to you, in a accountability to you, and taking responsibility for paying my bills. And so I think the beauty is when we bring those qualities of sitting in silence and being in nature actually into the most hectic, restless, places on the planet. Can I stay in that transpersonal space when I am in Israel where there is a war? And so I think that these are very deep questions because sometimes what at least how I look at it is that in the spiritual in some spiritual fields the stillness is actually made higher than the movement. And I believe true non-duality doesn't um, make this distinction. And so, for me, it's a very um, great challenge. How do we, in, for example, also in our groups, really look at the difficulties, at the shadows that we bring, at the places that we often want to avoid? How do we create a higher willingness to participate in the most beautiful moments and in the most difficult moments equally. And I think that's when my, my let's say, deepest humanity becomes my highest possibility, 
and what I mean by that is what if if I, I will really give myself to also the difficult, painful moments with that inner space and with the deep willingness to practice my deep meditation practice or contemplation practice while I meet those difficulties. And I think um, for me that's something where I feel that when I look into the world, how the world looks like at the moment, when I don't see the world just as an illusion, but also as a the manifest body of the divinity that I practice. So then there is a caring, and then there is a compassion, and uh, and a giving, and and I believe the combination of both um, gives me much more power and willingness to do to give to participate. So again, Thomas, I just want to make this extremely practical and in a sense comprehensible in people's everyday experiences. So I'm imagining someone who has been on some type of deep retreat, maybe it was only a few days, but they touched this sense of unification that you were describing, the ocean of being. They come back, their intent is to bring that into all of their interactions with other people, and it doesn't take long for there to be an interaction with their intimate partner, let's say, where they're starting to notice a rising irritation and then a kind of tuning out, and before you know it, lots of frustration, etc. So what do you recommend for people in that moment where we're seeing our connectedness and our deep peace eroding in an interaction? What do we do in those moments? The eroding that you mention is very interesting because it means that I'm not aware of what I'm avoiding in that specific interaction with my intimate partner. And therefore, exactly because of this example, I think it's so important that we will focus part of our spiritual practice uh, on movement, which means also shadow integration, which means um, <clears throat> the, a very high awareness within the process of my daily life on how I actually distance myself internally from the experience that I'm having, which means from you, but also from what you cause in me in my in my first reaction. So it looks like the intimate partner makes me feel angry. So in in that moment I might not like the fact that I'm getting angry, jealous, whatever, sad, and then I start avoiding these inner sensations because I have maybe the idea that I should stay in that open space that I experienced in the workshop and and in the moment I have an idea about the moment and the moment is different, I already feel that the beautiful inner space is actually collapsing. And because of that example that you brought, I think this shows the importance that when I want to stay as an integral part of culture and I don't decide to go to a cave in the Himalayan mountains where I still 
where we'll have to face other difficulties. But if I decide for what some people call a more tantric or embodied or manifest spiritual path, so then it's even more important that I will um, become aware of all the places that I'm not aware of. And usually these are the places that we run into when we see the beautiful meditative space vanishing when we come back into culture. So that's one thing. The other thing is that whenever I call it the first test is that we realize something or we heal something. The second test is that we bring this realization or this integration back into our life. And so the first test is usually easier because that's something that uh, opens up. We learn in a retreat or we experience in nature suddenly or within our therapy. But then when we come back into our life, the context of our life is is designed or co-created by our former self. But my former self is not me anymore. So when I come back, I come back into this old shoe. And and now the second test is actually, will I embody my realization? And so I think that's how cultural evolution works, that we are for each other always kind of evolutionary impulses where we push each other uh, in our limits and we push each other forward. We show each other our shadows, and we show each other our potentials. And so I think that's a very beautiful process if we take those things really as growth impulses, which means, for example, one partner was in a retreat, and there was a a deep opening or more clarity or more intimacy that the person is is able to, to live, and then he or she comes back to the intimate partner, but the intimate partner gets scared from this uh, realization or from this growth or from this power or this clarity or this power of loving. And so how do we deal with this with these parts that I think we all know if we see other people develop um, or we see other people grow, it might be that one day I find myself being jealous, feeling envy, feeling afraid, wanting the other partner or my partner not to move so fast in his or her development. So these are really interesting questions, I think, if we are um, interested in the cultural awakening, so that literally our culture is growing, because that's what we are facing. And therefore, I think um, what you say is so key to many people's experience, because I think that the workshop experience and coming back to life, nearly every one of us knows, and that these fundamental groundbreaking awakenings that that happen and then they stay for this, like the, for the rest of our lives, they are pretty rare. But we will need to learn to be in these waves. And what usually also happens is that the person that had this beautiful experience will try to stay attached to that beautiful experience as it's eroding or vanishing. And so this creates another, uh, this creates even a faster vanishing of that beautiful space.
And I think once I understand the dynamic that's happening there and once I watch, okay, what is actually the fullness, the richness of the moment that I experience right now, if I like it or I don't like it, doesn't matter actually. 360 degree of my experience belong to that moment. So then I I will find out more and more what I actually what am I actually avoiding? What I what do I not want to have the way it is? And and the more I think I will practice the refinement of this, I will learn to embody my realizations. And and I think most of all the the knowing that these things need to happen. They in most of the cases uh, of the people that I know, these dynamics that you described happened and if I don't resist them, but I see them as my natural process. So for sure I will be more willing to explore them. And this curiosity and exploration I think um are key for me to find out more about those dynamics. So it sounds like a key in the way that you're presenting this is asking this question, what am I avoiding? So someone asks this question, what am I avoiding? And I'm avoiding my rage or I'm avoiding whatever it might be, my, you know, impatience, or I'm, you know, who knows what it might be. What do I do once I identify what I'm avoiding in this situation that has me clearly no longer in a place of peaceful stillness? Right. So, um, yeah, as you said, first of all, I, I will learn to explore what am I avoiding, then clearly to see that as a, an attachment to the state that I was in is not necessarily helpful in living myself fully in that moment with my intimate partner. So I come home, I really would love to have this harmonious or deep space with my partner and suddenly my partner comes from a very different life and he or she uh, is actually already a bit irritated when I come home because I was away and she doesn't know really what happened. And then the whole dynamic actually develops in a whole different direction than I expected. And so um, well, once I see that, that, for example, as you said, that I'm also getting angry and I will, and if I'm actually emotionally healthy, so then that anger will be processed through me without contraction. When I see that the meditative space is vanishing, it just is the subjective experience of me contracting, contracting back into my conditioned self. And so once I see that my conditioned self is a composition of conscious and unconscious parts, then I know the importance of... Um, finding out actually what are the rooms in my house that I'm not aware of. And if, if, if rage is something that I'm familiar with, that I'm living in, that I'm grounded in if it's necessary, so rage won't lead to the fact that I lose my witnessing consciousness or this meditative spaciousness. If rage is something that I, that I have been trained to avoid, 
or I trained myself to avoid, so then that's definitely what's still going to happen because that meditative space didn't help me to integrate my shadows. And once I meet life again, um, the energy or the movement, the content of my experience becomes important again. And so therefore, the movement part would be how to integrate, for example, the movement of my emotional system, my mental system, my social systems in a way so that they start, they, they stay flow experiences. And if my anger can flow through me and I'm able to express it healthily if it's needed, so then, then anger won't throw me out of my unity experience. But if that's not the case, or even I have the spiritual concept that I shouldn't be angry, so then, then that certainly will happen. And so, the, let's say, the practice of what am I avoiding in this moment helps me just to realize, oh, I'm contracting the sensations of my anger. I make it smaller. And therefore, I have the feeling I'm falling out of something or I'm, I'm, my meditative openness is vanishing. And then I, the more I reconnect to the sensations of anger and I presence myself in it or I relax myself into it, and this can flow through me, I will see that my meditation space is coming back or is, I, I, I realize it more again. And so I think, therefore, the openness of my humanity is so important because that's usually where I start to tumble or... Um, where I start to contract again when I meet life. And this means also that that wisdom is not just this transpersonal space, but also the embodiment of the transpersonal space in my most fundamental emotional experiences, sexual experiences, and social experiences. I want to take this even further for a moment, because I think what we're talking about is so important. And what I'm thinking of is how you mentioned sexual experiences, and it could be sexual or just deep intimacy, how for many of us in such experiences, some very deep, mostly unconscious trauma can be evoked in the relational field, as you call it. And so here we're faced with something that seems so difficult for us to stay with, almost impossible. It's so painful. And so I'm curious, how do you recommend people work with that in the context of awakening in relationship? Right. That's a beautiful question. So, of course, from the what I would call mystical point of view, mystical knowledge, we would look at trauma as a reduced movement in a certain aspect of our development, we would call this like a cosmic address, like there's an area of my being that is reduced in its movement and reduced in my conscious awareness of it. And so the body-mind actually gets turned off partly, and so the, ex the content of that experience vanishes into the unconscious. So when I, when that kind of sexual trauma gets activated through an experience, 
So I don't experience my trauma directly. What I experience are the symptoms of that reduced movement and of the filter system that it created when I perceive the world. Which means, with other words, every, let's say, traumatized area, in, in this area, I will not see the world as it is. Because I'm looking through filtered glasses. Mm-hmm. And that's also why usually the experiences that I have in the area of my trauma are perceived as being stressful or painful or uh, very challenging because I, I cannot even perceive this situation in its full extent and in its full information. And I'm, I'm, I'm giving a bit of a context because that's, I think, important for how we work with it. So first of all, I'm, I'm a fan of, of we spaces when it's around learning and uh, when it's around healing. Because I believe that when we create we spaces that have certain qualities, they are very, very beneficial to wake up together. One is that we commit that that presence and mindfulness and and attention in the moment is something that we commit to together. Another one is that the quality of my perception that I will explore the quality of my perception because I believe that human beings have the ability to perceive much more than many people usually think of themselves, that they can. And so, given these two qualities, together means that I learn to hold spaces of presence, to be present with a relation, for example, and that I refine my ability to see, feel, and perceive what's really going on right now which I call to move my awareness from the smoke to the fire or from the experience to the essence. And so I believe that when we, when we are in, in a relationship where we, where we develop together, when we are in working relationships, when we are in, um, in communities where we develop together, then those two qualities just intensify the space, the intensity of our relation, of our communication, of our meetings. And what this means is that we will become more and more precise together to see, to learn, to discern symptoms from essential uh, places or the essence of what's really happening right now. And and I think one one example that I think many people know is, I often say in my talks that when when you go into a communication, into a team meeting, into when you speak to your intimate partner, and you speak to anybody in the world, and you leave the communication with feeling more tired than the way you started the communication, you know that something happened that you didn't see. And so that life energy is actually an amazing indicator for 
for truth, presence, authenticity, and and connectedness to life. And so when I run into a a certain situation and I, I leave the situation and I feel tired or I'm happy that it's over, I know that I couldn't perceive the situation in its essence. I got stuck in some symptoms. And that's very important because this gives me already one indication when I entangle myself in symptoms and when I'm really you know, coming to the core of a situation, to a core of a communication. And I think we all know how that feels. If we either see something together with someone or if we get seen by someone really, we know when the strings of life or the the chords are really resonating. And I believe one way to healing is that we will pay much more attention when the strings of a musical instrument start to resonate, when we see and feel seen more and more often, and this creates intimacy. And, for example, one aspect that I often say, one symptom is pain. Usually, I don't understand the word pain when it's around emotions. Because I believe when somebody says something is painful, it's already an interpretation of what the person is feeling. And so when I I take the symptom of pain, and I'm not talking now about really severe medical uh, bodily pain, usually we take painful when we talk about feelings or emotions. And so the symptom would be to say something is painful and then my main interest is already to go okay when we take this interpretation away what is actually what we really feel and if i if in life i go deeper with that i will definitely come more to the fire of what i learned maybe even through very strong traumatic experiences not to feel because it was so overwhelming. And, of course, the the intensity of the trauma will also determine for how much, uh, will also determine how much professional help I need with this because for some things I will need a very trained person that can help me to go through the different levels of my pain, which means suppressed or unfelt feelings, sensations, inner material uh, to come to my core and to reawaken this part of my being. But some things we can also practice with our spiritual friends, with our partners, and we can definitely learn some tools how to um, at least detect the main symptoms that human beings uh, describe and not get stuck in them. You're listening to Insights at the Edge, produced by Sounds True. We welcome you to learn more about our collection of more than a thousand learning programs and receive two free gifts just for visiting us. 
just go to soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. That's soundstrue.com backslash free gifts. And now, back to Insights at the Edge. Thomas, I'm wondering, I think it might be helpful if you'd be willing to share a personal example of this. I mean, we could call this a type of shadow integration process that you've been referring to. But I'm wondering if you could share a personal example of working with symptoms in your own life and then getting to the core of something and how that worked for you. Yes. So let's see. Um... So one personal example, for example, was that I um, some years ago I was um, before making a decision of becoming a father or you know not becoming a father, and there was a part in me that that I I felt yeah becoming a father will definitely take energy from my work will um you know i will not be anymore as free as i wanted to be in order to to do whatever i'm feeling called to do and to follow my path fully and so by exploring this um what what seemed like to be a a strong commitment to my path, I could, after some time, really find out that actually the opposite is true and that behind my own worldview was like a kind of a fear that by embracing it and not even fully integrating it, but just be- becoming aware of it and, and staying in these sensations and seeing how my maybe mental process would help me to to find good reasons why not, I learned to drop into this more and more and more until I could go with the decision. And actually the experience of becoming a father helped me to to integrate and heal those fears and open my own, um, in a way, grounding or rootedness in life even more, which actually made my teaching also much stronger. And so by dismantling the, let's say, the symptoms of the process, which would be some maybe some kind of explanations or why my spiritual path is more important than becoming a father and and whatever I might not be able to do uh, and and more detaching from that and resting in in the fears that were behind this helped me actually to to move my life in a direction that was actually deeply healing. Um, as an as a path of life, and actually deeply enriching for what I'm doing. And I think that's that's just one thing that I could stay more in the let's say story of of the whole process, or really go to the 
sensations and feelings that are more uncomfortable stay there, even if I didn't know fully where they are coming from. And and also the the decision actually helped me to to heal that and integrate it and open something in my own energy that was very fundamental. So that's maybe one personal example. Mm-hmm. One of the things you talk about in the audio series, The Power of We, is the importance of being willing in this process to go beyond comfort, to go beyond what's comfortable, to go into if we need to, what's uncomfortable. And I wonder if you can speak a little bit about that. Right. Yeah, that's also what uh, relates to the question that you asked before um, with the trauma. I think that a, a very high spiritual value is when, when, when a person, when we make a commitment to something that is bigger and comfort and discomfort. So when I know, okay, I'm here, I'm committed to life, and I'm committed to present, and no matter if this moment, this conversation with you, this, I don't know, experience that I go through is comfortable for me or uncomfortable for me, I know that I'm here, and I know that I'm committed to life more than to what I like and what I don't like. And so that's for sure a practice, and that's not, I I decide this and then it's working. But if that's something that becomes a value for me, then I will see, wow, if I give a talk, and if I feel very good with what's going on in in the talk, great. And when people are criticizing me, when I'm, when I feel ashamed, whatever, I'm equally practicing my presence and my commitment to that moment and to find out something deeper in it, I think that's a very high liberation. Because then I see actually that, for example, when someone gives a talk and then you are afraid that something might happen that you don't like, But it's actually not that we are afraid of the external situation so much, but usually we are more afraid of what we feel according to this external situation. But if I practice more and more that actually it doesn't matter, I will explore the difficulties as much as the pleasurable moments, then I will suddenly find much more inner freedom to be in the given life situation and and be free in it, because all I was afraid of was my own sensations. And once I learned to infuse my sensations with presence, and I I can relax into those and even stay curious, then I, I made a big leap towards awakening, I think, and also to freedom in life. Then I, I can become a much more skillful, player in different situations because I know that I'm not afraid to feel uncomfortable. I'm not afraid to be also in a conflict. I'm not afraid to feel ashamed. I'm not afraid of my jealousy. And and if if I know that I experience something difficult in my um, development or if I was traumatized in my life, 
I know that I will research and go into and be with that and find the appropriate uh, support that I need in order to to grow back into this area of my being and to embrace it. And I think that's therefore I'm, I'm often talking about uh, avoidance or potential and challenges um, because I think that's such a big uh, fundamental step towards awakening. Because I think our shadow material is burning in the presence of my willingness to to be with it. And if I see once, twice, three times, four times that that really works, then this becomes an ability that I have. And and by the time I think my, my inner light or spirit starts to shine through that um, ability. And people will feel this, that I, even when we have a conflict, I'm not leaving you. I'm still with you in that kind of difficulty that we have together. And I think that's a very beautiful human ability. So, Thomas, I'm totally tracking with you about being with uncomfortable experiences and uncomfortable sensations and being willing to hang in there. And at the same time, what's coming up for me is I'm imagining in my own life and in people I know certain experiences where it's just like, I'm totally freaked out. I can't be with that. I'm just too freaked out. It's too overwhelming, too scary, too terrible, whatever that might be. How do we awaken in those situations? Right. I mean, if something is really... I'm not talking about um, that people violate themselves, you know, in, in certain situations. I think... Um, there are certain situations that are too overwhelming. There are people who are very traumatized. And so then we need first to build resources in order to actually to be able to process such a overwhelm. And for some people, it's actually counterproductive uh, to stay in this uh, big overwhelm and because th- there's just not the ability to handle that. So there is a differentiation that I think we need to make. And so given that we that this big trauma we they okay need a different uh, kind of treatment, um, in any given moment I can just go as far as I can go. So I think there is a limit to my ability to do that and then there might be situations that are truly overwhelming, and so that's that's what's happening now. So then I will need to leave this situation for a moment. I need to take uh, two days off my partner, or I need to simply make a step in order to balance myself. But um, I think the main thing starts... There's, I see this more like a flower that starts growing in me when I... When I make a commitment and I recommit myself to that commitment in my life. And it doesn't mean that from that time on it will work all the time. But I know that I'm finding out how it works even a step more and even a step more. And I said at the beginning that I think that we all 
um, will have setbacks in that practice. And sometimes we will have situations where we freak out, become reactive, and will not be able to handle it. But I think that's part of the process. And I think if I manage to not take that too seriously, like I failed or I did something wrong or I will never make it, but I know that I, I will. I'm I'm walking my path. And and more so that I think one spiritual illusion is also that there is an end to the past. So that that there is at the end the paradise or the white sofa that I can really rest on and suddenly everything is done. And I think if I if I drop that idea, then it's about what's really here. And and in what's really here, I'm walking. I keep walking. And so what I would say, yeah, if you if if situations are freaking we are freaking out in certain situations so that's what's happening and then then we will simply make a loop in our life so we will come back to that situation sooner or later but that's part of of the process that's part of the experiment but i'm focusing more um on the on this flower that's growing in me um with my practice and i have seen many people that it also had difficult situations where it didn't work at the beginning, but then there is a kind of an inner strength, inner stability, more a kind of an emotional inner world that is growing. And so we can see that people build the capacity towards it. And so it's actually less and less situations where, where we get so overwhelmed that we cannot handle it. But I think if that's happening, then it's anyway happening. So in that moment, there is not the conscious awareness to to contain the process or in the mystical knowledge, we would say there's not enough uh, space to contain the energy. And then we simply go through this experience. But I think that's part of being a human being. Now you talk, Thomas, about something you call transparent communication and how important transparent communication is in this process of awakening in the relational field. What do you mean by transparent communication? How do I do it? Transparent communication means that two things. Um, um, I often say a relation consists out of two qualities again. As we said at the beginning, it's... Um, being able to hold an inner space for the experience that I'm having, and which means also to have enough inner kind of spaciousness to experience the, the moment that we that we have together. And the other thing, what we are training often is attunement. So I can I can see an image in a very low resolution, or I can see an image in a high definition. And so in the high definition, I have a much more, I have much more clarity. I have much, many more details available than in the very low resolution. And so when I combine those two so that I'm mindful and I'm present in our communication and I'm also attuned, so I increase my resolution of my experience moment to moment to moment. 
which means that when I listen to you, I can listen to the surface of our communication, or and or even I can be hypnotized by the words that I hear, or I can listen on deeper and deeper and deeper levels. So what motivates you to say what you say? From which level of your being are you talking at the moment? How open or not open am I and are you to hear what what we are saying and to receive it? I think often in communication we don't see that the words that we are saying are not even being heard. If they are, they are being heard physically, but not energetically. So I say when in the leading edge of communication, I believe it's not anymore about self-expression, because we did a lot of work already on self-expression, but the leading edge of communication, I believe, is that I'm aware of what I'm saying and from which place I'm saying it, and I'm also aware of what you are hearing and with which place you are hearing it. So I'm aware, actually, of the space that contains you and I, and also of your being and my being in a high resolution. And so it's transparent because it it gives us access to much more, and I believe, essential information that is often happening in communications that we often don't pay attention to. There's, there's a lot of subtle information that's happening in the communication. And if I train myself to hear it, so... It, it gives me um, a much more satisfying and complete or deeper um, experience in the moment. And and I think one um, when I say complete, what does it mean? It means that the that the possibility that we experience together reaches whatever it can reach right now. That is the the highest potential of this interaction. And how we see often that that's not that this didn't happen is I think many people know this experience that you talk to someone, for example, you talk with your partner, and then you leave this communication and you feel bothered in your heart. You feel that there is a leftover, and you still think two hours later what you experienced in that moment and and what you didn't experience in that moment, and so. This is what I call like a leftover energy that where the experience couldn't fulfill itself fully out of whichever reason. And so one of the spiritual practices would be, for example, not to ignore that or to just wait until it dissolved, but um, to really look, okay, what was actually in that communication, what was happening there, and to reflect those moments, and to see if we can find maybe later on in in a meditation or in an exchange with a, a friend, to find at least a step deeper clarity what what happened in those moments. And I think if we do that, then that's a, a kind of a permanent shadow work also, which expands my human vessel, I believe. I'm noticing, Thomas, that I just feel so happy to be having this conversation with you. And I think the reason is I talk to a lot of people about spiritual awakening in general, but they don't talk about it 
in terms of spiritual awakening in the relational field. And, you know, I've watched a lot of people who have had supposedly profound experiences of awakening, but when I've watched them interacting with other people, not all of these people I'm referring to, but many, I'm like, wow, this is a little weird. You don't seem very attuned in the relational field. You don't seem very caring in the relational field. You seem to be avoiding all kinds of things. How awake is that, really? And, right. and, and so I think you're actually pointing to something that hasn't been pointed to very much. And I just wonder what your comment on that might be. Totally true. I, I totally underline what you said right now. And that's actually a sentence that I say myself more often, that what does awakening mean if I'm not aware of what this moment holds? What is, what is the dynamic of this moment? And, I, and I, I'm, I agree very much with you when you say, okay, yeah, people had experiences. But I, I believe the awakening shows itself in every moment and in every interaction. And so my awareness of that interaction is actually my state of awakening and in that moment. And so, yes, people might have great experiences, but they are only fully embodied when they actually touch every aspect of my life. When when I can live them, or when, when I can live this kind of realization in every aspect of my being. And this doesn't mean that this awakening didn't happen, but it means there's more potential to it if it really saturates or or infuses itself into the aspect that you mentioned, that sometimes you watch people talk, and I see the same. Sometimes I look and I say, but how can you give this feedback to that person? That's totally not what's what's the dynamic of the moment. And and this shows, in my opinion, that in in many spiritual traditions, silence has a higher ranking than movement. And that silence often is not is being disturbed still by the noise of the world. And I think as long as silence is being disturbed by the noise of the world, it's not fully non-dual. And and so I think our our practice, even if we had some great awakening experiences, is that the movement of my life, my incarnation and all the people that I speak to and every time I create movement I'm being creative in every mo- every time I say a word I'm being creative and so if if this process is truly infused and shows also my awakening, which means a high level of awareness and what are we aware of? We are aware of the content of this very moment. We are aware of the content of our conversation right now. And if you are not aware of that content, something, I think, doesn't work because awareness is awareness. We need to be aware of something. And and I think that's where also the work recently of in the last decades of many people is also to combine um, like many paths of modern psychology, psychotherapy, 
like integration work and the the practice of the mystical knowledge and the higher states of consciousness so that that's really a contemporary path that is um, able to create a healthy breathing creative potential oriented society and i think that's truly exciting that's that's what awakening is when those two come together i've been speaking with thomas hubel Thomas is the author of a new audio series with Sounds True called The Power of We, Awakening in the Relational Field, and also an upcoming book with the same title. Thomas, thank you so much for being with us. I know you're in Germany right now, and it's like midnight or something while we're recording this here in the USA. So thank you so much for staying awake and having this conversation with me. Well, thank you, Tammy, for the invitation. I highly appreciate that. Thank you so much. SoundsTrue.com. Many voices, one journey. Thanks for listening.